Hello, it's Kirsty here. Before we start today, I want to give a quick shout out to all of you who've donated so far to bring the weekly economics podcast back next year. That's including Anna from Bristol, Amanda from Clunganford, uh, and Tom from Surbiton. Hello, guys. Thank you very much. For those who haven't yet given, uh, but have enjoyed listening to me and my guests over the past eight weeks, please go to neweconomics.org forward slash podcast to give £5 or whatever you can afford. That's neweconomics.org forward slash podcast. Right, on with the show. Then put your What is this, Miami Beach? Not hardly. That's right, chuckers. it's Groundhog Day! Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome to the weekly economics podcast brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. Last week, George Osborne stood up in the House of Commons to talk about his long-term economic plan for the third time in 2015, and this is the third time we're covering it. Today on the podcast, economist Yuan Yang joins me to talk about what was the same in a comprehensive spending review, what was different, and what it all means. I'm reliving the same day over and over. A long-term economic plan. Long-term economic plan. Long-term plan. Long-term economic plan. Really, this is the third time. Five years ago, our economy was in crisis, and as their letter said, there was no money left. Our long-term economic plan is working. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you ever get sick and tired of saying long-term economic plan? This is a big spending review by a government that does big things. It's a long-term economic plan for our country's future. I'm not making it up. I am asking you for help. So, hello, Yuan. Uh, welcome back to the weekly economics podcast. It's great to be back. <laughs> I love you. Uh, so, I've got a serious case of deja vu, and not mm. just because you're here again, uh, although it is a pleasure. Uh, George Osborne was in Parliament again last week talking about his long-term economic plan, the third time this year. Um, is there actually anything new we should be talking about from the Comprehensive Spending Review? There's, of course, more detail that we have now after the autumn statement than we had in May. But I think what George Osmond has shown is that he is fully willing to stick by his own self-imposed rule of chasing a surplus by 2020 and by scaling back the size of the state to the, the smallest in 30 years. Although the big new thing that was t- discussed widely was the U-turn on tax credits. So following the defeat in the Lords, um, Osborne is no longer going to push through the cuts to tax credits. Actually, that's not really that much news at all because by 2020 universal credit will be phased in um, and according to Andrew Hood at the Institute for Fiscal Studies many of the cuts that will come in with universal credit will simply be the same as the tax credit cuts that we were expecting this week anyhow so we're simply delaying the pain that will hit the poorest fifth of earners in the UK and hit them very deeply um, we're delaying that till uh, 2020 but it will still come. So no news isn't necessarily good news in this case. I'm actually reminded of my uh, my best friend, uh, James Meadway's catchphrase, the same with knobs on. As I said, it is, this is more of the same. This is the same with knobs on. Having won uh, a slender majority... <laughs> Having won a slender the same major, with knobs on. The same with knobs on. Uh, but according to the Institute for Fiscal Studies, uh, the government is only cutting spending on government departments by 3% over five years. Uh, that takes us back to the level of spending in about 2004 under Tony Blair. 
So some newspapers have called this the end of austerity, Yuan. Is it? So I think the comparison with 2004 spending under Tony Blair is a bit misleading because, of course, there are five million more people in the UK than there were in Tony Blair's time. So even if you keep the level of real spending constant, you've made the per capita spending much lower. And in cases where it comes to health, our ageing population, um, and where it comes to education, our increasing number of under-15s who will be in secondary school, um, that really hurts schools and hospitals. And that means that actually by freezing spending or by raising spending by very small amounts, we're actually seeing an absolute reduction in the amount that will be spent per person when it comes to hospitals, doctors and teachers, which means that by 2020, actually, we'll see much worse um, state of affairs when it comes to departmental spending on really important resources. All right, so I love it, the, blaming the old and the young there, you <laughs> Thank you. Um, so um, where were the biggest cuts made then? Well, local councils will be squeezed under the Department for Communities and Local Government Cuts. Um, That department's been cut by 30%, which means that the government grants to local councils have been cut by 56%. Um, And this is hitting them when they're already really low, because over the last uh, coalition government, local councils already lost a fifth of their budget. So they really have lost out quite a lot. And that means that areas like adult social care and domestic violence support and um, local authority spending on housing, you know, all these different issues which affect day-to-day lives of of citizens in the UK have been slashed hugely. And although Osborne tried to kind of have his cake and eat it and said, yes, we're cutting hugely these budgets, but we're also going to give you a sweetener in that you can raise council tax by 2% um, in some local uh, councils to pay for adult social care, that really is a sticking plaster move. And it's also potentially a regressive move in that the local councils that need to spend the most on social care are not necessarily the same local councils that have the most wealthy house owners to pay council tax. And so this new move um, in terms of the ways that local councils will fund themselves is potentially quite divisive across councils across the UK. So you mentioned domestic violence services there. And one of the other kind of killer headlines over the last few days has been uh, that they're going to use the proceeds from the tampon tax to pay (laughs) for women's uh, services. Can you give us a bit bit more detail about that? Yeah, so distributionally speaking, this is quite a strange policy. 300,000 people have signed a petition arguing that no VAT should be charged on sanitary products. Now, we already charge the lowest 5% rate allowable under European law, and we're committed to getting the EU to change its rules. Until that happens, I'm going to use the £15 million a year raised from the tampon tax to fund women's health charities and support charities. So tampons are included in VAT, which is for luxury goods, even though... As far as I know, tampons aren't luxury good, and if they are, I've not been using them correctly. Um, so tampon tax will then be used, says Osborne, to fund domestic violence shelters, which have had funding cuts over the last five years because of the cuts to local councils who would usually fund those domestic violence shelters. As a result, women have been turned away from seeking help and simply rooting this kind of strange insurance that you now have to pay for being a woman um, to the state for domestic violence services is not the way of helping those most in need. So another kind of surprise uh, headline was the U-turn on cutting tax credits, although uh, it became clear that that might be on the cards um, a few days before the uh, review. And because I've been able to announce today an improvement in the public finances, the simplest thing to do is not to phase these changes in, but to avoid them altogether. Uh, So George Osborne said uh, that he didn't need to cut tax credits because the economic situation has improved uh, and the forecasts from the Office for Budget Responsibility look brighter. 
giving him an, actually an extra 23 billion to play with, which sounds like a great position to be in. Now, the ABR has seen our public expenditure plans, analysed their effect on our economy. Their forecast today is that the economy will grow robustly every year. Living uh, how realistic or optimistic are the forecasts, so, Yuan, and should we believe them? Well, it's, it's funny you ask that because if you look at the OBR's forecasting record for the last few years, they'll forecast a deficit, um, say, two years in advance, and then they'll forecast it again, you know, a few months uh, in advance. And in those two years' time, the, the deficit forecast will go up, often by a magnitude of three or four, which is quite a huge margin of error. So when it comes to forecasts now, um, for five years down the line, I really don't think that those hold very much water when it comes to thinking about how much the deficit will actually be in 2020. I think what we have to do, though, is take a step back and ask ourselves, why are we so obsessed with the deficit figures that the OBR comes out with in any case? And this comes back to the kind of fundamental underpinning of Osborne's programme, which is to reach surplus by 2020 in the fiscal budget. The big question there is why is surplus necessary or healthy or even helpful for a growing economy? It's as if the government is saying, actually, we want everyone else in the UK to owe us money. And that is what a budget surplus is. If there's a private sector and a public sector and the public sector has a surplus, that means that the private sector is a net deficit to the public sector. So just arithmetically, it doesn't add up in terms of why Osborne thinks a surplus is a good idea. OK, so Osborne also used his extra uh, £23 billion to protect police spending. Uh, other areas of spending are protected too. Uh, what does that mean and why were they chosen? Well, it's interesting that Osborne decided not only to protect um, pensioners' income, but also to increase it um, in real terms. And intergenerational inequality has been a huge issue for the current government, partly because of the housing crisis that is made worse by help to buy and by right to buy. The other protected departments, such as health um, and such as education, aren't really protected. Um, as I mentioned earlier, if you freeze spending or increase spending by a small amount each year, but you don't match the rate of population increase, which will hit the elderly and hit the young in the UK, um, then you're really not um, going forward. You're actually going backwards per capita terms. So, And George Osborne is also giving billions to uh, property developers to build 400,000 new homes in England. And I am clear, in this spending review, we choose to build. Yeah. And we will deliver, with government help, 400,000 affordable new homes by the end of the decade. Is this going to solve our housing crisis? Well, it's really important and a good thing that Osborne is funding more house building in the UK because we're really nowhere near matching the quarter of a million new houses that are needed every year to just match household formation in the UK. Um, however, this is really not targeting enough or the right segment of people. Um, at the same time as trying to uh, increase spending to build so-called affordable houses, um, by which is meant 80% of uh, market rents. The government has actually been inflating growing housing bubble, particularly in London, and that housing bubble is being pumped up by Right to Buy for Housing Associations, which has been announced um, in this last budget, and also by the fact that um, Help to Buy, so giving uh, people taking up mortgages huge cuts on interest payments to their mortgages, um, all that does is increase the size of mortgages that people take out and thereby increase house prices. It doesn't actually help in terms of supply, it just increases demand, which is exactly the opposite of what you'd want to do if you want to help a bubble come down. Um, it seems that those changes are going to make it harder for people to rent at the low income end of the spectrum and also make it harder for the housing market and the mortgage market to adjust when the bubble eventually does collapse. Surely the government wasn't able to do all of these things because of this extra 23 billion. Were there any tax rises in the announcement? 
There are a few small tax rises in, in this announcement. Um, the council tax rises, as we mentioned earlier, that local councils can now raise a bit more tax, but only to fund adult care. Um, a welcome improvement in stamp duty on second houses and buy-to-lets, although the way that stamp duty works in the UK is really quite messed up. So it's you know it's kind of a, a sticking plaster on top of another sticking plaster. Um, and finally, a p- apprenticeship levy. There are some income tax cuts planned as well, which is quite disturbing in a budget that overall um, reduces the income of the lowest fifth by 7% and does nothing to the income of the richest fifth in society. Brilliant, Yuan. Well, thank you very much for coming back in. It's been um, a pleasure as always. Any week when I don't have to see James Meadway is a, a good week. <laughs> well, thanks very much for having me, Kirsty. Thanks, as always, for listening. And remember, please help us come back for another series at neweconomics.org forward slash podcast. Music for the Weekly Economics Podcast is provided by Poddington Bear. We'll be back at the same time next week. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. The independent... The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, the independent think tank and charity campaigning for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org. <laughs> <laughs>